Hello, my friends. You have reached the Skeptical Podcast here at Bayside Church. All of our campuses are doing a series called Skeptical, where we are asking the hardest questions of Christianity. We're down to the final and very best podcast because we have the very best apologetics person I know. I've met them all. I've met the big names. I work with Mark Clark, but we got Dina Davidson right here, my friend. How are you doing today, Dina? I'm excited. This I'm is, excited too. This is a hard question and packed within this question is my question, my Ooh. steepest objection, Ooh. the one I've wrestled with most. So I'm excited. Okay, well, let's just get right to it. This is one of the most frequently brought up questions that I've gotten. I spent 27 years traveling around college campuses, letting students ask me any question. I'll tell you, this is not in the top five. It is in the top three Mm -hmm. uh, questions you get. And it's simply this, you Christians are so narrow-minded and arrogant. How can you tell everyone everywhere, all around the world throughout time that the only way to heaven or the afterlife or to God, the only path is Jesus. How can you believe that? Yes. Dina Davidson, what is your answer? Well, let's let's first start on where this idea comes from. Okay, good. I it love it. Little comes, background. Yeah, it comes from a particular idea about truth. So specifically epistemology, how we know what is truth. So there's this famous example in the philosophy of religion of the blind man and the elephant. I'm sure you've heard this. Yes, but I love so basically, it. blind men stumble upon an elephant, and one feels the trunk and says, It's like this. And the other feels the tail and says, It's like this. And the other feels a different part and says, It's like this. And the point of this analogy is this parable really is to say, No one has the full and complete truth of what is the afterlife and what is the pathway to the afterlife. Rather, we are all just stumbling around like blind men trying to know reality. So... And what, the reason that, ping, that was my jacket on. I was going to a little musical little, note added yes, to that. Exactly. Um, uh, recapping of the elephant and the blind man, all world religions have got yes. some bit of truth to them. Yes, exactly. And so the I, fundamental idea there is that truth is unknowable. Mm-hmm. So that's the philosophy, the epistemology behind that story. Truth itself is unknowable. And so I just, let's start by entertaining that idea. Because in Western society, it it is actually the dominant idea when it comes to truth, a certain kind of truth. Now, we all believe that it's possible to know the truth about the physical world, right? It's why science is king in our world and technology as an expression of science is king. It's because we believe that we can go out using our five senses and our reason and we can study the natural world and we can discover what is true because when we have false ideas about the world, the world just doesn't line up with what we think, Mm -hmm. right? So science can lead to the truth, but when it comes to what is beautiful, are we free? What is the purpose of life? What is right? What is wrong? Is there a God? What is the pathway to an afterlife? Because of the failure of something called the Enlightenment Project, we assume that we cannot know the truth when it comes to these things. So backing it up, what's the Enlightenment Project? Basically in the 1800s, there were these people who said, we are going to throw off the shackles of tradition, which many times meant religion, and we are going to use the strength of our mind to go out into the world and find what is true. So we get like Rene Descartes sitting down and saying, I'm going to doubt everything, right? And so he doubts and he doubts and he doubts. and then Literally he, every word. Literally everything. And then he says, I think therefore I am. And so I cannot doubt this. And from this, he builds this whole philosophy of what he believes to be true. 
fast forward 200 years, and that's modernity. That's the Enlightenment Project. And it has, Kurt, hashtag, failed. It has absolutely failed because what happens is we start getting exposed through globalization to other cultures that have very different ideas. And when we start to interact with these different ideas, we find out the world is bigger, there are more answers, and we have not been able to come down to this airtight, I cannot doubt this. Therefore, because of a lack of certainty, I cannot know what is truth. And that's the fundamental thing. This view of knowledge, when we base it on certainty, it means that we cannot know certain things, specifically religion, freedom, morality, the pathway to the afterlife. So my first answer is I don't accept the whole enlightenment project. And therefore, (laughs) I'm okay with it having failed. And therefore, that will color a lot of how I go about answering this question. But I think we just got to start here and recognize that our cultural moment, we are situated in post-modernity, which assumes a certain view of truth and the knowability of truth, which is basically that truth itself is unknowable. So yeah, of course, it's arrogant for Christians to say that they have found the way to the afterlife, that they know God as God is, not as they flawed human believe that he is thoughts you are spectacular phil i want to do a history show with dina davidson you know you know on the the tv they have they've drunk history not that one (laughs) not that one i would go drunk in the holy ghost history you just feed me a bunch of like sugar no i love i love that idea man goes on this pursuit and the pursuit is i could we can know everything how arrogant of us Mm -hmm. to do that and it ends up giving us postmodern the ultimate amount of doubt in truth. Now right. everything, Can't know even, even how we describe things scientifically is just one group having power over another group and how we grade people as one group having power over That's another right. group. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I, and I just, the only thing I would add to that is I kind of agree with the elephant and blind person. Yeah. Let's hear thing. it. I kind of agree with it. And I've heard it a million times described to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to disagree with it with students vehemently and go, I, you know, this is why it's wrong. And one of the things I'd say is, first of all, a trunk and a foot and a tail are congruent, okay? Right. The concept of God in Buddhism and the concept of God in Islam are not congruent. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling Buzla, uh, uh, Buddhist vibes yeah. over here and I'm blind to... All of vibes over here, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't, the, the analogy doesn't hold. Mm-hmm. So it's a dumbing down of world religions, and it's a dumbing down not of just world religions, but of, of world views. Mm-hmm. So to say that I've got the trunk and you've got the tail is for me to profoundly insult mm-hmm. what you are feeling as you got the tail. So I'd say actually me being honest and saying, I don't think my tail and your trunk are related is more respectful mm-hmm. to that worldview than me saying, well, you have part of the truth and I have part of the truth. And, and then, because then the next conversation in religion goes, well, I have the slightly better part of the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't lead us anywhere. But here's the part where I do agree with it. After thinking about this for a lot of years, I think we do have a perspective problem. But our perspective isn't evidentiary. Mm-hmm. I feel or some sense a part of it and you feel or sense another part. Our, our perspective problem is we're profoundly individualized or we're profoundly tribalized or we're mm-hmm. profoundly subculturized so we cannot see anything from God's point of view. Yep. That's so, good. so 
our perspective, we're, what, did it, what I call this is the blindness of preference. So our preference would be there are many ways to God, including mine. Right. So I had this roommate in college, and we would fight all the time about this. And I'd say, you know, it's easy for you to defend what you believe because it changes every 30 seconds. And mine is based on Orthodox Christianity. You, this is it not fair. And he, I, he says, mine doesn't change. I'm like, well, what do you believe? And he had little pieces of Islam and little pieces of Buddhism. And he didn't even realize in world religion the, the, the two things would contradict and da-da-da. Yeah. And the little pieces of Christian, good, a couple of Beatitudes in there. And I said, do you know what they call that? And he said, what? And I said, they call that Joeism. You, Joe, are the god of that. <laughs> yes, right. And I just think that's me too. I mm-hmm. think that's all of us is that we're like, God, uh, I am... It, this feels narrow-minded to me because it's limiting my per- preferences. Mm-hmm. It's limiting my perspective on it. So there's this little, um, I got to look at my notes because I want to get this right. There's this little video out there on Instagram and everyone, and it's two-year-olds having a temper tantrum. And every time this thing comes up my feet, and I don't know why it comes up so often, I just laugh and laugh and laugh. So here's the reasons for the temper tantrums there's a little cute mexican girl and she wants to be chinese and the dad is just off camera going there's nothing i can do about it and she's just destroyed (laughs) daddy i want to be chinese he's like it's not a the next one is a dad who won't let his son eat a battery and the the kid is literally laying on the ground i want to eat the battery a mom who won't let the dog change her diaper the little girl's diaper i want puppy (laughs) to change my diaper and the Mm -hmm. last one a mom who wouldn't turn off the rain using the remote control. <laughs> this is us. <laughs> We're handing God this remote control and going, here's how I'd like it. Mm-hmm. Like a sunny day today, and I want you to use this. And I, 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 let me say it more gentle than that. If you're the sort of person who struggles with this idea, could you be open-minded enough to consider that it comes from a place of deep personal interest. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that? Yeah. Um, that? That finding out who God is and what God is and what he wants from you is difficult as long as you stay in that place of deep personal preference. And you talked about postmodernism in a moment. One of the things I like to believe is that we've moved a little bit beyond postmodernism because of technology into hyper-democracy. So postmodernism is I can't know what's true because mm-hmm. every word is a power word used to this and that. And it, and I think we've moved to this place where I know it's true for me because my community and my instincts tell me. And so I'm going to, in every hyper decision I have in my life, I'm going to vote for that. Mm. I'm voting for that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, how privileged are we that we have any sort of sense of being able to do that? But is that really the best way to discover truth? Am I really most open-minded to the nature of the universe mm. when it's it's my few friends and my heart tell me what's true? Right. As opposed to, could that actually be blinding me from the truth? Right. So that's my response to your great response. That's so really good. I, 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 there's a cultural piece to this too, though, where Christians are seen as unlearning of other cultures or faith ideas. How do you respond to that, Dina? I think that's a very fair criticism. I I think that Christians have done a very poor job of being good listeners in general to other people. I think, you know, whenever someone has the sense that they know the truth, they're 
they're going to be less interested in learning other people's take on that truth. So as Christians, if, if you believe that you have the truth, your motivation to listen to other people is one, to overcome the problem of self-deception, which is what you're talking about, Kurt, is, okay, you believe you found the truth, that you understand who God is and how Jesus um, you know, walked this earth and what he wants from you. What if you're wrong? And the way that you figure out whether you're wrong is exposing yourself to other ideas, other people who've encountered Jesus, and really just filtering the way that you see the Bible and Mm. this God that you believe you know. So I'm very much a fan of listening to overcome the problem of self-deception, but I'm also a fan of listening because listening is one of the fundamental ways we value other human beings. Absolutely. So if Christians aren't listening to other people say, this is what I believe about God. This is what I believe about truth. This is what I believe about politics. This is what, if we're just, you know, shoving our truth and that is how it is seen, our truth down people's throats and not listening to their take on things, then we're devaluing them as human beings. And that is the exact opposite of the way that we would want to be treated and therefore a violation of how Christians are supposed to treat others. Yeah, 100%. Listening is a lot, uh, not listening, not listening is a lack of faith. Yeah. So what often happens, and sometimes this is taught, literally, we we teach it to our kids, you know, um, that public school, this, that, and the other thing is, that if you hear an idea that is counter to Christianity, it will weaken your faith. Hmm. And in hearing other ideas is, first of all, imp- it's impossible to avoid. Mm-hmm. This is the Amish philosophy. I'm just going to shut my ears and go off to Pennsylvania and, and make buttermilk. And um, it doesn't work. It's never worked. But it's also intellectually undevelopmental. So my ability to grapple with ideas, I have to listen for my own good, mm-hmm. let alone keeping me from self-deception. It also, I can't understand what I believe without listening to people that believe differently than I do. So one of the great blessings in my life has been um, hanging around international students. So there's a ton of students from India, Asia, all over Asia, India is Asia, uh, uh, Russian students, European students, a lot of Africans. You know, if you go to any school that um, has a lot of engineering, you get a great wide variety, people from the Middle East, people from the Arab Emirates, and they like Christians. Many of them really like Christians because they'll come and find the general subculture on American secular universities a partying four nights a week and go, I'm serious about my studies, actually, and I got some good grades to get here. And they'll find that the Christians not drinking and partying is who they want to hang around with. So all of a sudden, you've got three parents... Uh, three three kids in your life that parents are very practicing Buddhists. They, They may not be. You've got four or five students in your life that are really practicing Muslims and their parents are very worried about the West in their life. And you, they open up to you. Some of them are married and their spouse is in there and they start, and they're very, very uh, polite and kind and nice about not telling you anything about their worldview that contradicts with yours yeah. for a good half a year. And uh, you have to ask them. Yeah. And then you start going, I don't really understand Islam. Mm-hmm. I've got a cartoon version of That's this. That's right. And it's like when people said to me, you know what Catholics are like, and I grew up Catholic. I was like, I don't, and I grew up around them, yep. and they're very different from one place to the other, and there's yeah. a lot of versions of Catholicism, and you know, there's socialist nuns and um, bishops in Texas being kicked out of the church for being too right-wing. You know, yes. 
and you find you had a cart- cartoon view, and then what would happen is, for me personally, what happened, the more great friends I had um, that were devout in other religions or been raised in other religions, the more powerful the concept of grace came. Mm. Because I just realized that one of the, one of the things about this idea of the exclusivity of crisis, all of them in kind, benevolent, sophisticated, wise, smart, great heritage ways we're saying is this is what we do to work our way to God. Mm-hmm. And some of the practices were spectacular and more devout than Christians I Required knew. more. But all of them had what was in common was I need to make these sacrifices. I need to do these works. I need to please this, these people and this person and this God in this way. And I just realized, oh, I'm in a totally different thing. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not working so God will love me. I'm so loved I'm working. Hmm. And it, it strengthened. I had the Reformation yeah. <laughs> over in my mind as I listened to these international students. And then politely and kindly, when you ex- try to explain grace to them, and it's very difficult yeah. to explain it, they do listen. They mm-hmm. do go, there is a hunger in the human soul, no matter what part of the world we're from, to go. Here, here's what I say to people, too. Uh, we are so profoundly works-oriented. you know why most of us reject this idea there's one way to heaven? Is because we refuse to believe there's a God that loves us that much. Hmm. It's really hard for us to believe we have to lay our shovel down. Yeah. And... Um, and it's not a, even a really profoundly arrogant thing. It's a it's a shame thing. Yeah. God knows me and loves me mm-hmm. that much. Um, so I just, I, I couldn't agree more with this topic. I just think, you know, when you have internationals in your life and they feel comfortable enough with you to tell you what they really believe and how they really practice their faith, there's nothing but upside for you. That's right. Okay, so going from there, let's talk, we talked about post-modernity yes. and then even post-post-modernity of just the individual democracy of truth. Like I, my vote is what counts towards what is true. Yes. I want to offer a different All right. pathway. Um, so l- let's say you're talking with a Christian and you're, you're happening upon their worldview that Christ is the only way to heaven. And you just pose the question to them and you say, hey, Why are you so arrogant as to believe that you have this monopoly on truth and that you somehow have stumbled onto the truth? What makes you so special? And come feel the pulse of the room. Like, what is wrong with everyone else here? I think a good answer to this question is to say, well, it is based on my belief of how we know what is true. There's different ways that we can know what is true. One is, you know, we talked about it already. We can go explore the world with our physical senses. Another is we can reason towards truth. We have powerful minds and we can really just assess. Um, we can feel our way towards truth. We can do what you were saying and to look inside our heart. We can look to culture and take the pulse of those around us and say, what do we all believe? But another, I would say, valid pathway towards truth is the concept of revelation, so going back to mm. the blind and blind men and the elephant. So what that example assumes is that there is no one who can see. There's no guide is, for the blind there's man. There's no guide for the blind man. Oh, Dina, that's so good. And and the fundamental claim of the theistic religions, um, Islam, 
Judaism and Christianity is that there is one that sees. Mm. His name is God, and he ha- he exists, and he has spoken to us through this concept of revelation. He has revealed what is true. So I would say to the person asking me that question, I don't think I'm so smart. I don't think I'm so special. And I, you know, maybe I am very arrogant, but I hope that's not why I believe this. Ultimately, I believe that there is a God and that he has revealed the truth about the world that I'm living in and about eternity and the pathway towards an eternity that I want. And so rather than believing what Dina through her senses can you know, figure out, rather than believing Dina what in her heart wants to be true, rather I'm looking towards this revelation that millions upon millions of other people have put their faith in. And I'm saying, I believe that God has spoken and I am just trusting what he has said. Mm. And when you paint it that way and you explain our claim to exclusivity, that way is just, hey, I am one of the members of the three theistic religions believe, that believe that God has spoken and that we would do well to pay attention to what he says. I hope that doesn't rub you the wrong way. And I'm absolutely willing to listen to what you think about that. What do you think about that? I think that completely shifts the nature of this conversation. This, I love I love the way you facilitate conversations with people that are doubters or unbelievers and how many friends you have in that area. I think it's so good. One of the things that I will often get when I'm having a conversation with atheists, especially our model agnostics, which are agnostics that have actually thought it through. They're not just mm-hmm. agnostic as a cop-out. And at one point they'll go, yeah, you Christians really don't like us atheists. And I, and I, if we're having a really honest conversation, I'm like, well, you know, Sam Harris says some mean things, you know, <laughs> I feel like let's, let's be honest. And, mm-hmm. but I will tell you the vast amount of kind of what I would call a day-to-day atheists they're really kind, nice people. They almost regret coming to the conclusion they're mm-hmm. in. It's true. And uh, they go, God, I wish I could believe in a God like you do. And and yeah. uh, they're not, there's some really debatey ones on every side, but I've, I've run into so many good ones. And they'll go, you know, why do Christians not like us so much? And I'm like, nothing could be further than the truth. I said, I love you guys. The model agnostics and the atheists to me are very fun to talk to. They're they're very engaging. I learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, and there's basically four worldviews. There's the there's atheist. There's agnostic. There's a couple of times. The the type that doesn't think it through is the type I'm not that fan of. Then there's the deist. Mm-hmm. And the deist is where most people end up without knowing it. Even more than agnosticism. They're like, oh, there's a God. Sure, there's a God. Yeah. Uh, but does he speak to me? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. Why would he speak to me? Mm-hmm. It speaks to saints and big people. It didn't speak to me. And that is the position that frustrates me the most, mm-hmm. especially as a parent. <laughs> yeah. So I get the idea we're alone in the universe and only got me to depend on. I get the idea I'm not sure if there's anyone in the universe. Mm-hmm. I do not get the idea is that I have wonderfully made the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And I left. Mm-hmm. I left. Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, this is Romans. The heavens declare there is someone who wants to reveal to me himself or or, or itself or whatever. You know, uh, I I think the the natural step after theism is revelation. Mm-hmm. Because why wouldn't he want to talk to us? Right. And then someone says, oh, well, why doesn't he just skywrite? I'm real. And I'm like, he does. 
He is. Look at the stars. Right. Look at the look at the fine tuning of the universe. Look at look at your babies. Look at you know. There's a lot of evil and brokenness in the world, but when you find a moment of real beauty, Mark is so good at talking about this. You find a moment of real beauty. Um, that's God skywriting. Mm-hmm. That's God saying, if you just open up your heart a little bit, um, I'll be there. So, okay. So let me get back to what I like, what I said earlier about I like the way you discuss things, Dino. When you are in a conversation, because this is a hard one for people to answer as mm-hmm. Christians, and oftentimes they'll get in debate, which pushes people more in a corner than it does cause. What do you do to get good guy, dialogue going? Give us some other tips about what you do to get the good dialogue yeah. going. Oh, just questions. I think if you have ever asked a question that's really hard, raises the temperature of the room, ask a question back, be a good listener, that's ask, so good. you know, where is this question coming from? Tell me the first time you had this question. Tell me your thoughts. Make them give the other argument. Say, tell me what you've read on the other side. Oh, that's good. No, no, your, no, no, say that one again. Yeah, just say, hey, give me the best argument for against what you're saying. Uh, make them do the hard work and yeah. at least stall and give you a chance to think. Um, sometimes in this particular conversation, I'll lead with my vulnerability of how this question has affected me. The question of the exclusivity of the Christian religion. And I'll say, you know what, to be honest, there's a particular version of this question that that has really haunted me for a long time in my faith. And initially, like people are like, yeah, great, good. You, You understand that this is a tough question. And so I think it creates some bonding. And so then I'll, I'll share, which we can go into if you want, but I'll say it is really a startling idea that the only people that will be in heaven are those that know Jesus. Because I think of all the people that don't, all the people that I know, all the people who've walked the earth, all the people throughout history, even in my Bible, Jesus comes at the end, you know? I mean, well, it's technically the middle, but, you know, in the actual book, it's towards the end. And so that that haunts me a little bit, this concept that, like, am I really saying that most of humanity will spend an eternity in a place that is awful? Is that what I'm saying? And so I'll, I'll start with that question and then I'll I'll give some answers to it. But what would you say, Kurt, to someone uh, wrestling great. with you that? You get a great answer. Questions, you can't go wrong with questions. What I do, if it's a hostile dorm environment, which yeah. about half of them are hostile and half of them aren't, is, and I do this in every dorm environment, but this especially works in hostile. When the person asks me a question that's not a question, it's a debate point, mm-hmm. um, I find something in their question to agree with. Yeah, that's great. I find something, and there's always something I agree with. Just good human conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, I had this dormitory in um, um, Louisiana, University of Louisiana, Eric Trill, my good buddy down there in Lafayette. And the dorm is packed that night. The pizza is flowing. There's like five or six frat guys that have come over from a frat right next door, and they're sitting on the pool table. And everyone's just peppering questions and we're going at it. And this guy just speaks up in the middle of it and says, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. How arrogant is it that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? It wasn't even a question. So I stopped and I said, oh, I completely agree that that's arrogant. And you have misunderstood the Christian argument. There's at least two ways to go to heaven. 
So, wait, next question. I want to move on. <laughs> every, every Baptist kid in the room all of a sudden panicked. We're like, oh no, who is the guest speaker that we have? And he's like, and he's like, wait, 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 wait. What are the two ways? And I said, oh, well, it's really easy. Is one way is God is a perfectly just God and a perfectly loving God. So therefore, he can't be loving unless he punishes every injustice. Mm -hmm. So one way is God can actually die in your place and receive the punishment for all your injustices mm -hmm. and pay the price. Just like if you were got sentenced to jail, but God already took the capital punishment for you, so you were set free. That's one way to get into heaven. Yeah. The other way is to be perfect your whole life so there's no injustice in you. And so God doesn't have to do any correcting of the justice. Mm -hmm. So there's two ways. Be perfect or let Jesus die in your place. And he said, come on, man. You know no one is. Perfect. I'm not going to tell you which word. Yeah. <laughs> it's four letters. <laughs> no, actually, it was you I-N-G at the end. <laughs> now everyone is No one is blank and perfect. And yeah. he shouted it. He shouted yes. it. And I said, listen. That's a good I sermon. Have, That'll preach. I have talked about Jesus dying on the cross for people in 45 states at this point for 20 plus years. No one has ever said it more accurately than you just <laughs> said it right there. That's good. And, That's so good. You know, and the, th the thing is, the, the, th the way I try to help people think about this is, what is mankind's problem? What is our problem? Mm -hmm. So not, is there one way or multiple ways? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? And what's funny is you'll get agreement on that. Everyone will go, oh, it's man's humanity, inhumanity to man. Another one, I hate to tell so many stories, but this kid no, so good. comes right in the middle of a dorm talk, right in the middle of a dorm talk, just walks right in the front and he starts heckling me. Oh, so you heard from God, then you must be psychotic. You know, that's a characteristic of psychotic. And he's interrupting and being disruptive. So I, find, I said, excuse me, sir. I said, obviously you want to talk and you don't want me to talk that. And that's totally fine. It's totally fine. You say whatever you want. I give you five, 10 minutes, say whatever you want. And he said, well, I mean, he just really wanted to heckle. And I said, listen, I'll ask, I'll give you a prompt question. Then you go from there and you talk as long as you want. I said, everyone, is it all right? If it, yeah, okay, sure. I said, what do you really have against Christianity? What do you really have against it? Just mm -hmm. tell me. It's just exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. He said, well, I have the concept of sin, the concept that you make everyone feel miserable about them and that they're mm -hmm. all wrong and broken and sinful and you just put people down and you just tell them they're sinners and I just think it's ignorant and wrong and da-da-da-da. And, and he went on and he made a really pretty compelling case. I'm probably not doing him credit by my imitation here. And so then he said, okay, that's all I got to say. And he sat down and he was satiated and hmm. sat there in the front row. And I said, can I ask a follow-up question? He said, sure. I said, what's your major? He said, history. <laughs> I could kind of tell that because of the references he was yes. making. And I said, so what you're telling me is in the history of mankind, we have not been sinners. We've been kind and gentle, yeah, fair and good. right to each other. He said, oh, no, we've been bloody injustice and filled with war. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, okay, we don't have to agree on what the solution to that is. Right. Can we start there? That's good. Can we start Call there and talk about some solutions to mm -hmm. that? And, and ultimately what that concept is, is there's only one way to God because mm -hmm. there's only one problem. Mm. 
if there was multiple problems, there'd probably be multiple ways to get to God. But the one problem is us. We're sinners. Yeah. And God solved the one problem. Yep. And it's, it's again, it's perspective. From God's point of view, it's like, I came to earth, died on the cross for you and solved your one problem. Yeah. And you want me to make three other paths? Yeah. I gave everything for this path. Um, so, you know, there's only one, there's only one solution because if I'm really honest with my sin, there's only one problem. Yeah. That's very good. I think so helpful to just bring it down to that core. There's one, um, there's one pathway cause there's one problem. Yeah. I let's also, talk about the problem. Yeah. And let's talk about the problem. See if we can agree on the problem and then talk about possible right. solutions, which by the way, most religions are, are about, you know, the problem. The, what has gone wrong with humanity and what is our pathway forward? So that's a great starting place for conversation. 100%. I, I do think with this topic, sometimes there's just such a fundamental understanding of what the Bible says about what it means to be saved. And man, you can read the New Testament and you walk away with some theology. But let's be really, really clear. Um, the Bible says more than a certain creed that has to be in the mind and the heart of every believer, right? The the thief on the cross, classic example, he just looked to Jesus, mm. right? He didn't he didn't have a creed about who Jesus was or he had hadn't done anything to prove his loyalty and following him. He had no actions to line up. Literally all he did was say, "Remember me, Lord." He looked to Jesus. And so, I would say if you read the scope of what the Bible says about this is that God is looking for those that want to be saved. Mm. You know, Second Peter says, why, why does God tarry? Why does God tarry in bringing judgment on the sinners and mm. saving those that know him and ripping them out of this evil world? And the answer is this, that God is not slow, as some understand slowness, because, you know, a day with him is a thousand. And he said, he is patient with you. Mm. wanting all to repent and come to a knowledge of who he is. And so just me as a Dina, this is not from the Bible, just me as a Dina, <laughs> there are lots of ways that I can see God in his infinite power and wisdom and mm. knowledge of him answering this problem of what of those who've never heard Jesus's name. Um, well, for one, I think God's a great communicator. Mm. Just because you never heard them say that they heard Jesus's name, perhaps in a dream he came to them, perhaps on their deathbed he came to them. Perhaps they actually died and there was a moment where Jesus revealed himself and the full truth of who he was and said, make a choice. That's one option. Another option is that God is omniscient and knows the heart and the mind of every person. Perhaps he simply knows what that person's response would have been if they had been presented with the fullness of the gospel. There are just lots of different ways that we can answer this question of what happens to those who've never heard the gospel of Jesus. I'd say I challenge you to read the Bible and show me an example of someone who had the heart to repent that mm. God did not welcome into his arms. Like that is God's heart. He wants people to repent. He wants people to know the truth. And he ultimately wants to be in relationship with his people. It's why he has spoken and revealed himself and sent his son to die. You think that God would let his son come to earth and die and say, oh, so sorry. This is so awkward. But that one person never went and witnessed to you. So mm -hmm. yeah, I guess he can't be saved. I just don't see that story when I read the Bible. Our God is an incredibly intentional God. So that's one of the ways that I've wrestled out that question of what, what 
happens to those who have never heard. Ultimately, I trust in the goodness of God and the whole sweep of scripture, which says that God is after people's hearts and he is looking for those willing to repent. But a professor used to say, no one will get to heaven and say, God was unjust with me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great way to say that. Now, Dina, I, I feel like we just scratched the top of this conversation to close out. Give me one resource. Give me where I can go from this. I got more questions now than I got answers. I might have listened to all these podcasts or a couple of them. Uh, If you, your your favorite skeptical resource, and uh, we all know Mark Clark's The Problem of God and The Problem of Jesus. Other than those two, (laughs) which are great and spectacular. I would also mention Dominic's books. Um, Oh, spectacular. I'm blanking on their name, and it's not because I don't love Dominic. But they're phenomenal, and they have— Dominic Don. Dominic Don. You'll find them. He just he has some incredible resources. His podcast, um, as well as his two books on doubt and navigating just this journey that so many people listening are on of being in the midst of wrestling with these hard questions. I think within Dominic's books, you will find a friend. So I would say those two, not just because they were in the podcast earlier, but I would also say, man, if you're at a heady, heady intellectual, go read some Plantinga. Alvin Plantinga, we've mentioned him a few times in this podcast, but he's one of the world's foremost philosophers. He is also a Christian and he has a a great, incredibly hard to understand in the best possible way argument on pretty much every topic that we have covered. I will throw in Tim Keller's The Reason for God. Yes, And absolutely. what I love about Keller is he's got... Uh, He's got a world-class intellect, mm-hmm. but when you read it, you know that he's got people in his life that are atheists, agnostics, deconstructed, ex-evangelicals. He's, got, he's pastored all these people. So his answers are very well-reasoned, but kind, pastorally. They're, they don't take shortcuts, which I love. You could feel the apologists in him and the pastor's heart in him and, and, and the theologian at the, all at the same time, which I love. So there's a few good resources for you. We hope you'll continue on this journey of asking these great questions. And thank you for listening to this podcast, Skeptical.